What's up, you guys? Welcome back to You Throw Like a Girl, the podcast highlighting badass women in the sports media industry. I'm your host, Maggie Robinson, and today I'm talking with Lauren Rosen. She's currently the team reporter for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA, but started out at Duke as a cheerleader and worked with ESPN during her time there, before going to Medill at Northwestern University School for Journalism. We get super candid about self-confidence, appearance, and why doing what you love is so important. So we can just get into it with a little, a quick, easy one. What is your earliest okay. sports memory? Oh my goodness. My earliest sports memory had to be in a gymnastics gym in Houston, Texas. Growing up, I think a lot of little kids do gymnastics when they're two or three. Like I think parents put kids in gymnastics class mm-hmm. and not everybody sticks with it. But I remember from a really young age, just like loving it and then sticking with it for the next, whatever it was, 16 years. So a lot of my earliest sports memories are literally, this is kind of gross, but like the smell of a gymnastics gym, which doesn't smell bad to be clear, but it's a very distinct scent because it's like carpet and chalk yeah, and heat. I grew up in Houston, (laughs) Texas. So the AC didn't always work in my gymnastics gym. Oh no! So yeah, like carpet and chalk and heat. It's not Mm -hmm. a bad smell. But they don't make candles of that set. <laughs> like it's either. like very nostalgic if you go back and think about it. Yeah. So I guess my earliest memory is a smell memory. But yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you grew up doing gymnastics. Did you play any other sports? So I did a little bit here and there, but I became really serious with gymnastics really quickly. And for for those that don't know much about competitive gymnastics, it's it's really a huge commitment. Once you get to a certain point, athletes in gymnastics are in the gym every day for three, four, five hours a day, six days a week. So let's say there's one off day, but I went to regular school. A lot of gymnasts are homeschooled. And so because I went to regular school and then I would go do gymnastics for four hours afterwards, I didn't have a lot of time to expand my web while I was doing that. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Soccer is not as intense, but I had friends who did gymnastics. And one of my friends was like homeschooled until high school because the time commitment is just insane. It's really crazy. I don't know how many sports are like that, but gymnastics is one of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't continue. I mean, going to gymnastics in college, I think is probably pretty difficult. No, there's like very few programs. Yeah. And it's, it's just very competitive. There are more programs than you might think. I wanted to be at one of the elite programs. And the Mm -hmm. bottom line was when I was getting ready to graduate high school, my skill level wasn't at the level that it would have needed to be, to be part of one of the programs that I wanted to be part of. I got injured when I was 14 or 15. And I think those two things put together, trying to get through an injury while reconciling how good I actually was and whether Mm -hmm. or not my goals were attainable. We ended up in a place where we sort of went another direction. And then obviously sports has stayed in my life ever since, but yeah, I didn't pursue it in college. So you pivot to cheerleader at Duke. Did you go in knowing you wanted to do cheer? Was that out of the blue? Yeah. So I actually did know that I wanted to. So right when I made that sort of decision that I wasn't going to do college gymnastics, I was wrecked. I was destroyed. Like that was always the plan. Yeah. And I had a teammate from gymnastics who had gone to Duke and become a cheerleader. So she had also made a similar choice to not pursue college gymnastics. And I had never considered being a cheerleader, but she said, Hey, come visit me at Duke. I think you might really like the campus environment. And I did. And I went and I watched a practice and I was like, okay, like, they're actually doing a lot of the things that I do that I'm really sad to leave behind. And again, I had never considered it. Cheerleaders and gymnasts have this weird rivalry that yeah. shouldn't exist. But I had literally, I had never considered it. 
mm-hmm. then when I sort of saw her life and how she used the skills that I was feeling like I was going to have to give up in a new way, mm-hmm. I just fell in love with the idea of it and tried out for the cheerleading team as well, made it. And that greatly influenced my decision to go to Duke and to be part of that program. Yeah. And then being a student athlete, has that helped you in your careers? Are there things you picked up that like made you want to stay in sports? When did you decide to go into sports as a career? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this skill wise, you and I can probably relate. I think everyone that, that did high level athletics in high school and college beyond can relate. Time management is huge because huge, <laughs> right? you can't stay in school if you're not getting the grades. No, academic probation is so real. <laughs> Even if you went to the school for an athletic pursuit, right? Mm. So I think time management and hard work and balancing opportunities in your social life or your professional life or your personal life Mm -hmm. with your commitments to your academics and your athletics was a huge thing for me to learn really early on because I definitely use that today. Do I use it well enough? Probably not. I don't have a great work-life balance, but I at least learned to sort of set that foundation of understanding what the main thing was and then what secondary main thing was in college. Um, And in terms of how I decided to pursue it as a career, I think Duke cheerleading's proximity to Duke basketball was huge for me. Duke basketball is as close as you can get to being an NBA team without Mm -hmm. being an NBA team. They really have almost all the same resources. Now having seen both programs up close. Yeah. Duke basketball has a ton of resources. They have some resources that the 76ers don't have and ah. vice versa, of course, yeah. but the, the, the level of the amount of resources that go into that program at Duke are really, really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I had never seen basketball played at that high a level either. It's not just a resource thing. It's a product thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's tons of current NBA players that were there when I was there. Yeah. And so I sort of fell in love with the game, the rhythm, the passion, mm-hmm. the players. Like I really loved it. And it's easy to fall in love with basketball when you're at Duke and you're in Cameron Indoor Stadium, but I really did. And growing up in Texas, you're more exposed to football. Mm-hmm. And I still always will love football. Football has a very special place in my heart, but I fell in love with basketball there. I started dipping my toe into what the professional world of, of TV production in sport looks like when I was there. Mm-hmm. ESPN would come to campus pretty frequently to cover basketball games and they would rely on a few students every year to sort of be a liaison between the school and ESPN to work as literally an intern getting coffee setting up the snack table that's so driving, cool though because the proximity driving, to all like, these big people is like yeah I mean it was huge for me and it was I, I never would have if I hadn't got if first of all if we're gonna do like a big macro everything happens for a reason conversation <laughs> If I hadn't left gymnastics, I wouldn't have looked at Duke. If I hadn't have gone to Duke, I wouldn't have fallen in love with basketball. If I hadn't been specifically at Duke, I don't know that ESPN is spending all that much time at every campus, right? They were coming in all the time and I was able to observe this machine that I found so attractive and so magnetic. Mm -hmm. And I could see myself being a cog in that machine. If I had never seen it, I wouldn't have known that this is what I wanted to do and this is what I wanted to pursue. So of course I thought I wanted to be in college basketball specifically. But as time went on, I got to be exposed to the NBA because they asked me to work a final four and then working a final four leads to working at a draft. And Mm -hmm. the draft really is that toggle point between college basketball and the NBA and seeing that machine was really exciting for me. And so all these things sort of add up to figuring out what my path was. I've talked about this a lot, but a lot of people that become sports broadcasters 
grow up knowing that that's what they wanted to do. They grow up sitting in front of the TV, turning the volume down and calling the game or doing a report or- They know Aaron Andrews from like age 11. Like Absolutely, mock interviewing their family members. That was not me. I sort of had a series of experiences and then a series of skills that I, over time, found a way to match with each other. But yeah, so I was very late to the party compared to some of my counterparts. But everyone's at the same place. You know, you're working for an NBA team. Everything True. And I do try to reason. tell people that I talked to a lot of college students and high school students. We had a young lady at the game last night who was a junior in high school. She's not exactly sure what she wants to do, but she knows she wants to be in sports. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I was, but like four years later. So yeah. I was telling her that nobody's too late. You're never too late to figure out what you want to do. I know people that are my age now doing what I do that want to pivot into a totally different business. And that's fine too. So yeah. yeah, no, no typical timeline in this space. Yeah. Honestly, that's even good for me to hear on a personal level. Cause I'm in the middle of like freaking out over post-grad jobs. Well, there's so much pressure too. I think when you graduate high school oh to pick a college and then a major, and then you graduate yeah. college and you need to pick a job. And it's like, you're oh still God. 22 years old. You have right. so many options. The whole world is, and there's so much that you yeah. haven't seen yet. Again, I, I just told you my anything. whole story. Yeah. yeah. My whole story is based on the things that I've seen and then going towards the ones that I liked and away mm-hmm. from the things that I didn't like. And I'm sure that's going to continue to happen, but yeah. yeah, you should never put like an age cap. Obviously there are these cornerstone moments of graduation that put a, a little bit of pressure on figuring out what that next step is, mm-hmm. but there's, there's no, there's no real timeline. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Sorry. That no, was that's so good for me to hear. <laughs> the amount of times I've called my parents and I'm like, listen, so I'm really stressed. Like you're fine. Breathe. I'm like, okay. You're fine. Easy for you to say, <laughs> but so true. Just gotta trust it. 100%. Um, so after Duke, you went to Medill at Northwestern. Did that help you solidify your desire to work in sports journalism, or were you still going for just kind of like journalism as a broad career path? So I would say the desire was there before I did that program, okay. but too late to acquire those skills during my undergrad. So like what we were saying, I sort of was late to the party and figuring out that this is what I wanted to do. By the time I realized I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I was probably a senior in college, at which point I had taken all my classes. I had picked my path. I had learned a lot that I use today for sure, but no journalism, no sports management. Duke doesn't have a formal journalism program or it didn't at the time, at least. I don't want to speak for what it's like now, but so it's not like I really could have done things differently, but I didn't have the foundational tactical knowledge that I knew that I needed. Yeah. So I had a friend who had done undergrad at Northwestern. She shared that I could apply for this program without taking the GRE, which was great news for me. I applied, I was offered a pretty generous scholarship. So there were certain things that combined again, just Mm -hmm. factors sort of combining to make that a logical next step for me. And so I was able to go there and get the tactical knowledge that I needed. Yes. I knew it was still sports and I knew it was broadcast and that's where I went to learn how to do it so that I could in good conscience apply for broadcasting positions and know that I can do it up until then it was a hunch okay I Mm -hmm. know that I love sports I know that I'm good at public speaking I'm good at writing I'm good at storytelling so I think that all those things could lead to being a good sports broadcaster but I didn't know the sort of like sports broadcasting 101 and I needed it and I was able to get that during that time at Northwestern gotcha and then for the first few years out of grad school, is there like a pressure to go straight into the biggest sports broadcasting? Is there a pressure to go into local news? What's that like? And then just like being a woman in that field is like 
another layer. Could you just talk about your experience? Sure. So in my experience, and I can only speak for mine, there was Mm -hmm. definitely not necessarily a pressure, but a suggestion. There was a suggested path to take. And that was starting in a small market, graduating to a medium-sized market, graduating Mm -hmm. to a big market. And that usually means starting at a local news station. So Mm -hmm. in a small market, there often isn't an NBA team, right? So going straight into the NBA is something that people do do now, but it's rare. And it was certainly Mm -hmm even more rare five or six years ago when I was going through that process, five years ago, I'm dating myself, five, <laughs> four, four, five years ago, four and a half years ago. There we go. <laughs> it was certainly less common than it is now to jump straight into the NBA four or five years ago when I was trying to do it. So the suggestion certainly was to go the local news route. In my experience, and again, I can only speak for myself, going the local news route with the companies that I interviewed for, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted sports. I wanted sports more than I wanted news. I wanted sports more than I wanted broadcast. That was the world that I fell in love with. I wanted to use my skills as a storyteller to function in that world. I was sort of told during this process that I would have a better shot getting a job if I was willing to just do general news or be a general anchor, be a weekend anchor, a morning anchor, Mm-hmm. And maybe I could have some opportunities to cover sports, but not to assume that I could go straight in. In my experience, and I can only speak for myself, that was advice that was given to me and wasn't given as often to my male counterparts. Men telling stories of sports, especially in smaller markets, I think there's a perception that it is more palatable mm-hmm. when it is coming from a man, right? Sure. They can speak with more authority. People are accustomed to hearing sports coming from men. And so I don't think that anyone was malicious in giving me that advice, but it was taking me too far from the goal. I knew I wanted to be in pro sports. So to go to a small market where there was no pro sports and I couldn't even cover sports at all, wasn't going to do it for me. And so that's when I, that's when I got creative and started looking for lower level positions in sports, even if I knew I was going to have to put some of my skills on the back burner for the time being. And again, everybody's path is different, but that was an interesting fork in the road for me. And I'm glad that I went the way I did. Yeah. So did you interview for a few news stations? Like, were you offered positions as like a strictly news anchor? I was. And here's a story that I can tell you. I went out for an interview at a station. Everybody was lovely. I had only good experiences in interviewing for local news with the stations themselves. But I had been given the advice to apply for general anchor and reporter positions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually went out on a site visit. I did a few site visits. And on one of them, when you do these, you do screen tests with these news stations. They take you out in the field. They give you sort of mock stories to tell in different places in the market. They put you in the field, which is really cool. They put you behind the desk. It was a really, honestly, nothing but a great experience. You have to learn to think on the spot. They really test your skills. Local news is serious and they take their storytelling really seriously. And so I loved the exposure I got in each of the markets that I visited. But in one of the markets where I did get an offer the last stop of the day. I think we did four or five stops in the field where I did sort of mock broadcasts Mm -hmm. was at a college football stadium where they had me do a mock post-game report for a game that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so I write up the report. I deliver the sort of stand-up with the producers that were in the field with me. And they said, wow, you're really good with sports. Like you should really consider applying for, for sports jobs. And that's music to my ears because that is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. 
but I had gotten advice from folks in the sort of high up corporate level of these stations telling me that I would have a better shot with local news. So it was both frustrating and validating at the same time to have yeah. that experience because mm-hmm. I had been given this advice that already didn't sit well with me and I took it. Yeah. And then I went out into the field and was ultimately told that my initial inclination might've actually been right. So that was an interesting experience too, in hindsight of sort of trusting myself and developing Mm -hmm. confidence. And maybe I should have said, you know what? No, I don't want to apply to any of these general anchor positions. I only want to do sports. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have done that at the time, but at 22, I didn't have the confidence or sense of self perhaps to really go for that with conviction. And maybe I should have, but I'm happy with the path yeah. that I've taken. It was just, that was definitely a formative, a formative day in the field, let's say. For sure. Yeah. And you, and I'm sure some of the people listening have seen you on TV. You give off such a strong sense of self-confidence. It's palatable. How did you develop that from like 22 year old you to where you oh, are? Girl. That is a really, <laughs> really good question. I know you have, have reached out to Kate Scott, who is mm-hmm. just like, I'm so lucky. She's my idol and my friend. It's been so wonderful to work with her the last couple of years. And she and I did a podcast together a couple weeks ago. We'll see. And we were with two of our players, George Niang and Shake Milton. And she was asked how she became so confident. And she said, you know what? I've always had it. It's this innate thing that has helped me in every step of my career. And I'm sitting there and I was like, wow, you've always had it. And here me and Kate are arriving at the same team at the same time in the same Mm -hmm. place. She's older than me. She's more experienced than I am. Her resume is much more impressive than mine, but we have arrived in, we're on the same stage. Mm -hmm. And here she is saying that she's always had confidence and I'm still working on it. I'm listening to her talk and I'm like, this could not be less me. I was bullied on the playground when I was probably seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. And those things really stick with you. Mm -hmm. I was not cool. I had frizzy hair. I wore braids. And for whatever reason, I wasn't a cool kid. I never was. And I didn't have, there's some uncool kids that have the confidence to really be themselves growing up. I wasn't that either. Like I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be pretty. And I, I felt like I was always chasing that for such a long time, especially growing up and middle school years are just so horrendous. High school is almost as bad, (laughs) but the confidence that I have now, and I appreciate you saying that it shows. It has been such a journey. I cannot even tell you of sort of learning to stand in myself and trust my skills, trust my work, trust my talent. It's a journey that I'm still on, but Mm -hmm. I will say, yeah, it's night and day from when I was a kid. And your original question that I haven't answered yet is, is how did I get there? How did I get the confidence? And I think it's, are there moments you remember that are like, I remember that being like, oh, I'm confident after that, or I just achieved something and I'm like, built myself confidence. I think it probably happened in and around grad school. And honestly, on that interview that I went on that I just told you about, I knew that I would probably be good at what I'm doing. Again, mm-hmm. based on the fact that I had the public speaking skills. I studied theater. I have a theater studies minor. Like I That's like huge. to perform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like to perform. I love sports. I love telling stories. So I knew that I would probably be good at this. And I think that figuring out that I actually am helped the confidence. I draw my confidence from the work that I put in Mm -hmm. the results that I show based on that work and the continued opportunities that you get based on the results. And so it's been a process for sure. And that's obviously professional confidence. Personal confidence is a whole separate thing that continues to be a process for me. I think like what we said at the beginning of this topic is some people are born with it. Some people aren't, some people are in the middle. 
I'm on the far end of, of wasn't born with it. I so I think you. I've built it over time based on the work and the results and the mm-hmm. job offers and the opportunities that come. And once you get those opportunities and you get over the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. mindset that I definitely had and sometimes still have, but understand that you're not being given opportunities if you're not ready to take them. You that's, start taking them, you start succeeding it. at them. Yeah, you, you're not given the opportunities if you're not worthy of them. Mm-hmm. But you also don't take the opportunities if you don't have confidence that you can rise to the occasion, right? So it's yeah. this like sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. But once you hop on that hamster wheel that I'm on now, mm-hmm. start trusting that I'm ready and not being scared to do things for the first time, that's a big one. Yeah. Not being scared to do things for the first time, not being scared to ask for feedback and take it. Mm-hmm. You can build your confidence based on your work, based on your results. So if I'm doing something for the first time, I'm drawing my confidence based on my work. This is corny, but there's that TikTok mm. sound where, where someone asks Rihanna how she's so confident all the time. Mm-hmm. She said something to the effect of like, well, I'm not, but if I'm not, I'm faking it yes. until I make it because why wouldn't you? Like, yeah. who, who can't do that? And like, that is such a, poignant thought for me it's like Rihanna is like the pinnacle of confidence she's performing right? the Super Bowl <laughs> and if she is saying that sometimes she's faking it it's like oh my god okay well then I can do it I can yeah. fake it on this smaller scale on this lower level in my smaller life mm-hmm. and hopefully build upon it to continue making my life a little bit bigger yeah. Uh, but yeah it's been a total journey I haven't been asked that question before so I hope that we got somewhere good with it next time I get asked I think I'll have a more coherent response <laughs> No, so yeah, it's based neat. on, it's based on the work and the results mm-hmm. that come from that work yeah. over a period of time. Yeah. That totally makes a sense. long period of time. Yeah. <laughs> I think, cause I remember I talked to Kate, I, we already recorded and she does, she just like, she's there. She's a force. Like you can, when she says she like, has always had comments, you're like, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Like for a second, not that I doubt that. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm not comparing the two, but something about her is just like, she just seems like she's never doubted herself in her life. There's a lack of ego there. There's mm-hmm. a willingness to look silly. Like I think, I think the that's best huge. Com- the best comedians are people that are like not afraid to look dumb. I think. Yeah. And I think I also not anymore, but I think for a long time I've had a lot of fear because of the lack of confidence of what do people think of me? What do they see? Yeah. Do they think I'm smart? Do they think I'm interesting? Do they think I'm pretty? And I'm making these choices based on what someone else's perception of me may or may not be. Mm-hmm. And that I think shows like a huge lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem. And so once you can start separating strangers' opinions of you from your mm-hmm. opinion of yourself, that's when you can start becoming confident. Kate yeah. is very good about staying on her own side, mm-hmm. much better than I am, but I'm working on it and we're yeah. getting there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we're here, let's talk about the scary world of Twitter and Instagram comments and mm-hmm. anonymous trolls perceiving you when you're on TV, how do you deal? Have you had to deal with harassment? How do you deal with online hate? By ignoring it as much as possible. I think I'm pretty good at it. I've gotten pretty good at it. I'm sort of, I'm like one of the youngest millennials or the oldest Gen Z's. I'm sort of like at the toggle point. And I think that people my age by and large did grow up with social media. So we were prepared for it. Right. So I knew that if I was going to be a public figure, I was going to deal with public feedback criticism, celebration, whatever. I knew I was going to deal with, with public feedback of, of many sorts. So I sort of braced myself early for that. Mm -hmm. Weirdly enough, lack of confidence growing up might've helped me because there was nothing 
that someone could say that was meaner than the things that I've said to myself before, which is so depressing and so messed up. And I don't no, but do it I anymore. Hear you. Yeah. I don't do it anymore. But I think that probably helped me because again, no one's harder on me than I am on myself. And that's whether it's about my work or sadly, a lot of the times the trolls are talking about your looks or your hair or your lipstick color or whatever. Like yeah. You're not going to shock me because I've been harder on myself again, professionally and personally throughout the course of my life than a random man in his basement can be. But right. I will say the trickiest thing for me, I'm really good at ignoring it. It really doesn't get to me. I'm being honest. The trickier part though, is that the way that a lot of social platforms are structured, you can't see the good comments without also seeing the bad ones. Yeah. I can't see if Doris Burke comments something positive on something I did without mm -hmm. also seeing what user 8576 in his mom's basement thinks about what I did, right? So mm -hmm. I often read feedback or mentions or whatever, because I'm hoping to see things from people that I actually know or admire. Yeah. But sadly, there's no way to filter out the stuff that you don't want to see. Yeah. And so it's just about reminding yourself that a lot of times these people are small people living small lives that are scared to even speak online with their real faces and like how sad is that right I have the bravery yeah. every day to speak publicly with my real face uh -huh. and you can't even speak online yeah to your seven followers with your real face and so then uh -huh. I end up feeling pity for those people and it's easier for me to detach myself from what they have to say because it's more of a reflection of whatever's going on with them in their life than it is on me in my life but it's again it's been a journey and it's good that I sort of built up my confidence as I was building up an audience, because I get way more online, again, feedback, criticism mm -hmm. and celebration now than I ever did before. And I don't know if I had been a less confident version of myself, the version of myself when I was 16, 17, 21, 22. I don't know if I would have been ready to receive that feedback and let it sort of fall, yeah. be water on a duck's back. Mm -hmm. uh, as much as I can now, based on the fact that I have this stronger sense of self that I've developed over time. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It is. I feel like they need to develop something where it's like, you can, you know how you can mute people on Instagram. There should be a way to like yes. mute comments where like, you don't want to see the comments from like a certain shitty group of people. You can definitely, I mean, you, you can know. block people, but it's like, yeah, if it's I block like, one, like, how do you know that they don't have seven burners? Right. I'm just going to hop on their other one. Like, yeah. To me, the second that I block someone or respond back, I'm giving power to whatever this yeah. person Yeah. So it's not worth the energy. It's not yeah. worth the energy. It's really yeah. not. Totally. Speaking a little bit about like the comments on appearance. So for this whole like podcast, I've had to do a whole bunch of research. And there's an author called Guy Harrison. He's like an author and researcher. And he like coined this term. It's called the nightclubification, which is a mouthful of women in sports media. But it's pretty much the idea that like you're expected to dress more provocatively or in clothes that are similar to what you would wear to go out like and more showy so you appeal more to the male audience but then you're also slut shamed for doing so so it's literally a lose-lose situation have you ever experienced any semblance of that in your career oh yeah I think lately I've found a really good rhythm for myself mm -hmm. my friends my friends that I work with today it's so much so that my friends that I work with today will see stuff online and they'll be like this is a Lauren game outfit like they I have a really distinct <laughs> sense of what I can do, but it's taken me a really long time to find a wardrobe or find a style that I'm both confident and comfortable in, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm unconcerned about what the feedback might be. Most of my feedback on my clothes and my appearance came way earlier in my career in previous jobs and part-time jobs and internships. But the nightclubification of women in sports broadcasting is fascinating to me. I love that term. I mm-hmm. absolutely have seen it. I do think that the idea that it's based on making a woman more palatable for a male audience, 150 million percent. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of tall, blonde broadcasters in sports. I will never be tall, probably will never be blonde. And so, yeah, it is really interesting. I think there's a lot there. I love that we're moving in a direction where women on TV, women in sports, it seems are having a little bit more freedom with Mm -hmm. what they can and can't wear, or not even what they can and can't wear, but being able to have personal style and, sh- and, yeah. and show a sense of personal style. It's interesting though, because the men wear the same thing to every game. I talk about it with some of my yeah. male counterparts all the time. And this is just specifically talking about men in media. Some of them dress up more. Some of them on TV, they'll wear a suit and tie. And mm-hmm. you can wear just like multiple colors yeah. of your suit and tie all year. No one's going to say anything. No one, you could wear the same suit and tie. No one remembers. 82 games. And honestly, no one will say anything. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I won't notice women there's this pressure to wear like 82 different outfits and we all do rent the runway and we chat with each other about different garments that we found that work or don't work Mm -hmm. and I love it I've actually started having a lot of fun with it but it wasn't always fun so to answer your question have I dealt with commentary yes absolutely I'm positive that I deal with commentary still that I don't know about and that's fine whatever people need stuff to talk about yeah whatever. Um, I see it online I'm sure it happens in person I don't know I'm confident now with the rhythm that I've found, but at the beginning of my career, I'll tell you, I was on a, it was like a one-time gig. I was working as like an independent contractor at this one gig, more behind the scenes. And I was always told dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Mm -hmm. So I showed up in like this turtleneck. I remember it so well, turtleneck, Mm -hmm. sweater dress with boots and a jacket. Turtleneck sweater dress, boots, and a jacket. So conservative, like covered head to toe. Yeah. And I received the feedback. Who do you think you are? Who are you trying to be? Oh my gosh. Because I think that the assumption was that I was too dressed up, right? I was a talent at the time. I wasn't on camera at the time. Mm -hmm. I I was trying to be something that I wasn't, which by the way, fair. I was because I was taking the advice of dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Right. I thought I was doing the right thing. So the next day I came in again, turtleneck, sweater, jeans, sneakers. Mm -hmm. And the feedback was, oh, someone's looking a little casual today. Like we need to work on our professionalism today. (laughs) And that was the first time where I was like, oh, sometimes you're just not going to work for the person. They're never going to like it. Sometimes no matter what you do, it will not be enough for whoever this person is. And it was really, again, so important to learn early on. Mm -hmm. Because you're never going to be for everyone. And and again, that's something that I think is super valid in your personal life and your professional life. Not every person you go on a date with, are you going to marry one day? Not every person you go on a date with, are you going to go on a second date? Are you going to not want to get up from the table five minutes in? It's okay. If not not everybody, if not everybody thinks that you're the best thing in the world, that's Mm -hmm. okay. A lot of times those things go both ways. But when I was younger and when I lacked confidence, I wasn't able to sort of filter those things in my head. I really thought that I was wrong, right? That Mm. if I dressed up, I was wrong. If I dressed down, I was wrong. If I was too conservative, I was wrong. If I was wearing something revealing, I was wrong. 
and what do you do? And I think that in this field that is so male dominated, especially forward facing on camera talent, when the men who dominate the space wear the same thing every single day and yeah. can, right? And can still mm -hmm. look stylish and will have no comments whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And the women can't do that because that, again, the like suit and tie, there is no women's version of a suit and tie. No. Even a pantsuit you'll get criticized for. Like well, you can't a pantsuit, win. And a pantsuit is a vibe. Like a pantsuit is a look, right? Yeah. It's, it's a look. And I yeah. one day would love to wear a pantsuit. I don't think I've ever worn a pantsuit. But if you wear the same pantsuit 82 times, someone will say something mm -hmm. because there's a double standard there about how men and women dress in the space. And it's okay. Yeah. It's going to always be there. I've learned to embrace it. But again, I've now been in and around this business for almost a decade. And I think this season, literally the 2022-23 season is the first season that I've found a rhythm in what I feel comfortable in satisfying all the needs and pressures associated with a job like this one mm -hmm. and satisfying myself and wanting to be confident and wanting to be happy about how I look. But again, almost 10 years in, I'm just now finding a rhythm that works for me. And like I said, I'm sure there is still some negative feedback because you're not ever going to be for everybody. Yeah. Mic drop. And there we go. Here we are. End of the episode now. <laughs> So but yeah, that's, it's such a good question. And it really does. We, as women, we talk about it all the time and it's not yeah. just, it's not just for games. It's for, it's for anything. Anytime you're presenting yourself or anytime that you're even in a group of mostly men, there mm -hmm. is this pressure to blend in. And I really pride myself in, I don't want to stick out all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to look professional, but I don't want to stick out all the time. I am such a small part of a big machine and I don't want to be a distraction and I don't want to call too much attention to myself. What happens on the court isn't about me at all whatsoever. Mm. So I want to present myself and do myself justice in a way that I'm proud of, but I also like, it's not, it's not about me. Yeah. And so finding that balance of satisfying both needs has been really interesting. And luckily I work with some awesome women and I've worked with some awesome women and we all compare notes and talk about it and find a rhythm. And now it's fun. It wasn't mm -hmm. always fun. And it's crazy that the men don't deal with it at all. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Kind of like a personal aside. I was hosting for the men's and women's basketball teams, like the on-court host or whatever. Again, mm -hmm. tiny role. It was just really fun. And we had the National Women's and Girls Day in sports. I was like, okay, I have this really cute, like hot pink top. It's like my online interview top because it looks great on camera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wear this. And I wore it. And like three different men who work in like athletics were like, oh, that's a that's a really bright shirt. You got like, just felt the need to comment on it. And I was like, it's literally a pink shirt. What? I just, I'm wearing Look, you can't win. <laughs> you can't win. I mean, I, no. again, like I've just gotten to say, I, I, I've had too many experiences where the same person has given me two sides of the mm -hmm. spectrum of feedback. You're yeah. dressing too conservatively. You're showing too much. Mm -hmm. You're doing too little versus you're doing too much. And the same person can give you both pieces of feedback. And that's yeah. how you learn. But sometimes you just can't win and you have yeah. to try to find the middle. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So what's your current routine like? Like, how are you picking out outfits? Do you do rent the runway? What's your hair? Yes. Like, let's get into the fun stuff. Oh my God. You're so funny. Okay. So uh, yes, I do do rent the runway because I've gotten okay. really into fashion. And I think fashion in the NBA has become a huge thing, even in the yeah. time that I've been in and around the NBA, led sort of by the players because they've taken such pride in mm -hmm. their own personal style. It's so fun to see the way that they're putting themselves together and people that come to the games, people that cover the teams, like there is fashion is a part of the NBA now. Mm -hmm. I want to participate in that, but mm -hmm. 
but I don't always have the means to participate on the level that I do. So thank God for Rent the Runway because I get to wear these cool pieces that I can't afford to own 82 of these great outfits, but I can afford to rent 82 great outfits. So I do Rent the Runway. I have a lot of like the same outfits in different colors. Yeah. Like if I, I loved this black skirt that I bought at the end of last season, I wore it a ton. And at the beginning of this season, I bought it in green and in brown and in blue. And so now mm-hmm. I have four and I can mix and match and I can pair it with different tops or whatever. But I found like silhouettes that work for my professionalism, my body, mm-hmm. um, m- my style. And yeah. then I'll just replicate it in different colors. Hair is another one. We haven't even talked about hair yet. And mm-hmm. black women in the space deal with this. I'll say this first deal with this so much more than I do. Yeah. But having observed what they deal with, I've been able to sort of draw comparisons to my own situation. When I was going through the local news circuit, especially, I think is really toxic in the space of hair. And again, I'm not Mm. the utmost authority on this, but I have naturally curly hair. And Mm. I was told that wearing my hair naturally or curly wavy was told this as a cheerleader. And then again, when I started in news was unprofessional and that I needed to straighten it in order to present myself professionally. And again, black women deal with this tenfold more than I would. But the idea that how your hair naturally grows out of your head is unprofessional is insane. Especially when we go back to the men versus women topic. Yeah. The amount of like bald men on air that don't even have hair, no one has any feedback for them. It's insane. It's crazy. And at the beginning when I was a cheerleader and then in my first few years, on camera in sports, I felt like I needed to straighten my hair all the time. I don't feel that anymore at all. So a lot of days you asked about hair routine. A lot of it is just like doing my like natural hair routine that I have all my products and learn on TikTok how to best take care of my hair. I don't even have curly hair and I see those all the time. They're so funny. People are creative, man. Yeah. And then sometimes you can see today my hair is straight. I'm lucky because when I straighten it, I can, I can have it straight for like two weeks and not have to touch it, which is awesome. My hair is super, super thick. Mm -hmm. And so it holds style really well. So for example, the next couple of weeks, I won't do anything to my hair. It'll just be like this. Mm-hmm. Outfits will be rentals. Makeup, I do myself. Heels, I wear a lot because when I interview players on the court, I'm really short. I'm five, two and a half. So adding five inches, yeah. literally like they can hear me better when I'm higher <laughs> up. I've gotten that feedback from the guys. There, there was once when I was doing an interview with a player and he was like, you're really low down today. And I, was, it, I, was wearing, I wasn't wearing heels that day. And I'll never forget it because I didn't think that they noticed, but they do. And some of them are like two feet taller than me. So I try to wear heels when I know I'm going to be interviewing players standing up. And yeah, I think that's sort of the start and finish of what my routine looks like. No, that's awesome. And kind of going off that, people have probably seen, and I've seen also, like you have like, it seems like you're genuine friends with a bunch of the players that you're interviewing. Like it feels very comfortable. How did you develop those relationships? Like, is it just through spending time or like- Not to say like, are the friendships real, but how do you interact with the guys off the camera? So for professional athletes, media isn't what they're trained to do. So my priority, when I start working with a new player is making sure that they're really comfortable doing something that is a byproduct of their position, right? Mm -hmm. They've worked their whole lives to be basketball players. And now by default, they also have to address the media sometimes multiple times a day. And some of them are shy or are not comfortable in front of the camera. 
I mean, think about regular people, right? Most people don't do what I do. Most people yeah. aren't comfortable on camera. That's okay. For them, it's not okay. They're literally required to do media. So mm -hmm. when I start working with young players, and I think that's probably, if I had to guess where those relationships come through the most, mm -hmm. my first priority, the first day, I've been very lucky because this is my fifth season with the Sixers. So some of the guys on this team haven't played a single professional basketball game without me being part of the media contingent that's covering the game. I'm there on day one when they're introduced to the city. And yeah. I always try to make it really clear that it's my job. And this is one of the benefits of being on the team side. It's my job to make sure that they're comfortable and they're able to tell whatever their story is in a way that is authentic to them. I, again, I'm lucky I work for the team. So my only angle is showcasing the team and showcasing the player. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make sure that they always feel as comfortable as possible. I hope that that comes through definitely not besties at all. So if yeah. it looks that way, that's fun, but it's more about hope. What you're seeing is, is a comfort level and a level of trust that I work really hard to gain from day one with these guys based yeah. on being a hopefully comforting presence in an uncomfortable setting that is media. And some of them are natural. Some of them don't need my help. But for the ones that do, I do take pride in making sure that when they come to me after a game, that the interview they know is going to be a comfortable setting. They know that I'm going to try to put them in a positive light. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try to catch them slipping in any way. Right. Um, and so it's cool to hear that that comes through, but hopefully it's based on my professional desire to make sure that they're comfortable. I prioritize yeah. that actively. And then when I've been with them for years, we're able to build on that foundation. Yeah. No, I was not at all trying to allude to anything outside of like professionalism. No, whatsoever. no, 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 no. But, but no, but it's a great question. And it's interesting too, because we spend every day together. I see these, mm -hmm. these are my coworkers. I see them every day. These players We're on the road together, late mm -hmm. nights, early mornings after wins and after losses. And so these people do become part of your life on a day-to-day mm -hmm. -day basis. So those relationships are genuine and they certainly exist, but also it's a really unique environment to be with your colleagues, like round the clock, right? There's no, especially on the road, which is a really interesting setting on the road. It's a business trip 24 seven. Yeah. There is no after hours you're always in a work setting. Mm -hmm. So you get to know people really well, but it's always pretty serious. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm really lucky too. That's the other thing that I will say, like I've been so blessed with the players that have come through the Sixers during my time here, mm -hmm. just like wonderful people, interesting people that make my job really easy. So it's cool to know yeah. that that's coming through. Yeah, totally. What's the work-life balance like? Is it there? Again, I've been doing a lot of readings and stuff. There's studies that have found that like younger women, like in sports media, tend to only last like 10 years because it is so challenging. If you want to start to think about a family, if you want to start to have just more of like a personal social life, have you experienced that yourself? Absolutely. All of my friends in Philadelphia work for, or at some point worked for the Sixers. Okay. I got here in 2018. I didn't know a soul. Everyone I met worked for the team. Mm -hmm. my closest friends today either work for the team or used to work for the team and are still in Philadelphia, different jobs. Now it's mm -hmm. really hard to meet people. I work mornings, afternoons, and nights. I work yeah. work days and weekends. Half of the time I'm not even in the city that I live in. So mm -hmm. there is almost for me personally, no work-life balance. I love to sleep. I love to work out. I love to meditate. Like there are certain things about me that I need in order to maintain my sanity more than I need to go out to bars and restaurants and meet new people. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. Some people really need that social environment to feel like themselves. Mm-hmm. I need like my me time to feel like myself. So yeah. I think the fact that my schedule is what it is, coupled with the fact that I have these sort of introverted tendencies that I need to satisfy, mm-hmm. leave very little time for any extracurricular activities. Yeah. So I am at this point in my life where I don't have a partner. I don't have children. I'm not taking any actionable steps towards either thing. Mm-hmm. I hope to one day have a family. So at some yeah. point I'm going to need to like figure out what that balance looks like. I, I'm lucky though. I have some friends in the industry that have figured it out. And so have left me a little bit of a roadmap. I don't know if you're aware of Serena Winters, who used to be the sideline reporter for the 76ers. She was here when I first got here, has become a friend of mine. And she is married and has a new baby. She's now the sideline reporter for the Cavaliers. We're actually going to Cleveland tomorrow. So I'm so excited to see her and her beautiful Mm -hmm. baby girl. But when I met her daughter at the beginning of this season, the first time we went to Cleveland, her daughter was five or six months old. And I got really emotional meeting her daughter because I saw her life. She is in a similar role Mm -hmm. to the role that I have and hope to continue to have and build upon in the next five, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But she also has a house that she and her husband, who she's married to, own, and they live there with their daughter. And I was like, wow, she's taken all these steps and she's still going on the road. And Mm -hmm. she's, I mean, the amount of respect I have for mothers on the road, we have a couple women on our staff that went through pregnancies, had children, figured out the rhythm of breastfeeding when you're away from your child, figuring out how to do all of that while on the road, seeing that women have done it, seeing a woman like Serena, who I'm close to, who has done it, gives me hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But I haven't started pursuing that future yet. So at some point I'm going to need to. Mm-hmm. Um, the studies that you're alluding to about the lack of work-life balance, I would fall into the category of folks that don't have that much of a balance. But all that being said, I love my job and I know how lucky I am to have it. If at any point I stop loving it, Mm -hmm. I'll know and I'll be okay with trusting that and trusting that maybe it's time to start pursuing other things that I might love, like having a family. Mm -hmm. But for now, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at with my lack of lack of life outside of work, which sounds so pathetic. But to me, it isn't. I'm very fulfilled and, and I love what I do. So I know I'm yeah. lucky in that sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My brother is slightly different also personal side, but he works in the music industry. So kind of similar and he's just starting out and he's like, it's just like a grind. But he, again, like same thing, loves what he's doing. So he's like, I will work on the weekends and I will work late nights because this is what I want to do for the foreseeable future. So it's just almost a toss up of your values at that moment in time and what you're placing priority on. I mean, it's interesting. I have some friends my age, like that are starting to get married Mm -hmm. and next comes kids. Right. And those are things that I want Mm -hmm. someday, but I have a lot of friends that are succeeding in their Mm -hmm. personal lives that hate their jobs and are miserable from nine to five every day. And I can't imagine a life like that. That's not, that's where I'm I'm at. Mm -hmm. That's not something that I'm interested in. So understanding that hopefully eventually you can have it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But some of the people that have what I don't, don't have what I do. So yeah, you find the balance there for sure. Definitely. Have you ever dealt with any microaggressions towards you? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, again, there are just certain things that happen as a byproduct of being a woman in a male dominated space. I will say my role being a team reporter or a digital reporter or sideline reporter is a role that is typically held by women. And so Mm -hmm. 
people are pretty comfortable with me being me and doing what I do as a woman when it comes to my role. But that doesn't change the fact that most people that meet me in those settings don't necessarily know exactly what it is that I do. So a good example, there are a few women that travel on the road with the Sixers all season long. And we have a running joke about tracking how often folks at opposing arenas, so whatever arena we're visiting, how Mm -hmm. often folks will ask us if we're the cheerleaders for the Sixers. And from my perspective, I've been a cheerleader. And when I was a cheerleader, I was younger. So Mm -hmm. you're telling me that I look young and I look cute and I look fit and I could maybe be a cheerleader. Thank you so much. It's flattering. Yeah. But at the same time, if I were a cheerleader, why am I wearing a blazer, carrying a laptop, speaking with the men that do what I do as well Mm -hmm. in those settings, not wearing cheerleading clothing? Right. Are you asking any of the men that just got off the bus if they're part of the cheerleading team or the dance team? No. So there's this sort of like dual reaction that we all get when we're given that assumption of, Mm -hmm. okay, thanks, kind of. But also like, how sad is it that the assumption is that like, Mm -hmm. you could only possibly be something that by and large in the world of sports, a cheerleader is considered decoration. Yeah. Or like a side show to the main show Mm -hmm. that is performed by men. Yeah. You could only possibly be part of the dance team as a young woman. That's really messed up. Yeah. So that's something that happens a lot. Another Mm -hmm. thing that I'll add just to sort of punctuate that story. Cheerleaders for opposing teams don't travel to games. If you go to an NBA basketball game, whether you're in Charlotte or Detroit or Philadelphia, the Mm -hmm. only cheerleaders that you see there are the cheerleaders for the Hornets and the Pistons and the Sixers respectively you don't see the opposing team's cheerleaders and if you work at an arena you know that yeah so to understand that not only are we not the cheerleaders but we couldn't possibly be them because they don't travel Mm -hmm. to still have that question because there's no possible way that you could be and let's detach it from my situation where I am in a more often held by a woman role Mm -hmm. that you couldn't possibly be one of the trainers or one of the physical therapists or one of the coaches or a different broadcaster, you couldn't Mm -hmm. possibly be any of those things. You must be a cheerleader. It's tough. It doesn't, it doesn't hit quite right. right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the current count? Have you like kept a lot? Yeah. (laughs) A lot. This season, I think it's happened like three or four times, which isn't all that often. That must be memorable. I also try not just to talk to strangers at this point in my career as much as I can so yeah yeah but it happens a lot and we all laugh about it but sort of in a twisted way yeah yeah going off that do you think the men in these like higher up positions or maybe potential viewers do they take you less seriously because you're a woman or no because your role is one that's typically held by a woman I would say yes and no Um, do they take me less seriously I think probably Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll separate that by a lot of people. I'd say probably yes. I know. And I've seen it in person, but sometimes I'll deliver a statistic, whether I'm in a meeting or I'm on camera or I'm on press row and I'll see whoever I'm talking to Google it to check if I'm correct or not, (laughs) not just, not just believe what I had to say. Right. Right. Or say, are you sure? And that's something that a lot of women in this space have in common. The flip side of it though, is that I've had to learn 
to be really, really intentional with my work Mm -hmm. and be really, really confident in everything that I say, Mm -hmm. because I know that I'm always going to be questioned. So in a weird way, it's been a blessing in disguise to be constantly sort of questioned or not trusted because it makes me up my game because I want to be unquestioned and trusted. Uh, but that doesn't happen to men. Men can say a stat that's wrong and people believe yeah. them. I mean, that's something that I hear on broadcasts all the time, especially mm-hmm. when it's people that don't cover the Sixers every day. They'll deliver a stat about one of my players that I know is incorrect and no one on the panel will question that. <laughs> but because they're a man, not necessarily directly because they're a man, but yeah. if it's a woman and she says something incorrect, she'll get destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's definitely that's definitely a big one for me. It's just the idea that it's annoying to be constantly questioned yeah. or not trusted, but it's also forced me to be a lot better yeah, and to be very sure and very precise and hold myself to a standard of understanding that no one actually can question me and that I am an authority. Mm-hmm. And maybe if I wasn't a woman that was mistrusted for the information that I'm delivering, maybe I wouldn't be as diligent or as good as I am at delivering what I deliver because yeah. I was forced too early on. Yeah. I think it's wild how men are assumed to have this inherent ability to just like fresh out the womb, just no sports. Like yeah. that is crazy to me. Like you can open your mouth and they can say something. And again, it can be completely wrong, but it's like, oh, he's a guy. He knows, he knows baseball. He knows basketball. Exactly. How do you know basketball? Like blows my mind that that is still a current view that so many people have. I mean, I have people that meet me in Philly that are fans of the team or that follow me. Mm-hmm. And they'll like try to teach me about the Sixers, which I think Do they is so quiz interesting. You? Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah, you yeah, get like yeah. the one V one question all the time? Oh my God. I mean, oh, you work for the Sixers. How many points per game does Joel average? Okay. 33.4. But why are you asking me? Do you ask everyone that you meet that, <laughs> that works for this team type questions like that? Like, so a lot of times I just don't tell people what I do. I'm making yeah. stuff up. And, yeah. <laughs> What's your best alias? Like, what are you, if you're not doing basketball, what are you doing? I've said that I'm a lawyer before because people don't really question that. Yeah. Or that I'm in law school. <laughs> don't really question that. I always thought I was going to go to law school. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I'll make, I, I don't know. Sometimes I make stuff up. If I don't want to be questioned about the Sixers, I have many ways to make sure that no yeah. one's questioning me. I'll be someone else from somewhere else. <laughs> oh, you look like Lauren Rosen. Oh, who's that? It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. That's really funny. <laughs> That's so good. Oh yeah, law school. Penn Law. You heard of it? I don't know. Oh my god, Penn Law. But then the risk that you do run though is someone being like, "Oh my god, me too." And I'm like, ah. "Shoot. Now I'm really caught in." Here. I've never seen you around. I'm like, "Ah, yeah, cuz and that's never happened before." I'm not a very good liar. <laughs> and I'll be like, "Please don't ask me anything else." Cuz I'm not going to be able to follow that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's really funny. Again, maybe a little cliche, but is there any advice you have for a young woman looking to go into the field of sports media or sports broadcasting in particular that you wish you had? Yeah, I have a lot. We have time. (laughs) Something that I've found to be really, really true in all phases of my career thus far is that there are a lot of people that want to do what I do. Mm -hmm. Connected to the conversation we were just having, there are a lot of people that think that they could do what I do. Yeah, (laughs) don't. There are a lot of people that want to do this. that want to work in sports that want to be a broadcaster that want to be on camera that want to be around the NBA. But there are very few that actually are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's because not everybody is willing to put in the work. And this is something that I 
in my podcast that I host with some of our, with one of our players, George Niang, he and I share this in common and it's become a through line in almost every interview that we do with some exceptions, but the people that work the hardest are always the people that are going to last the longest. And in my experience, there are a lot of people that want to do what I do. Mm -hmm. I went to school for this. I had graduated with a class full of people that want to do what I want to do that aren't in the positions that I'm in now. And and whether that's because they chose a different path or found something that they love more, I don't know. But what Mm -hmm. I do know is that a lot of people give up along the way when you're trying to get into a competitive field. A lot of people find that they just don't want it badly enough. They're not willing to work hard enough for it. They don't trust themselves enough to do it. They don't dedicate enough time to get there. Mm-hmm. But the people that give up along the way make space for the people that don't. Yeah. And that's something that I have now seen firsthand. I trusted myself. I did the work. I now get to work with, again, NBA players that exhibit those same qualities. They trust themselves. They put in more work than anyone else. They mm-hmm. don't give up. And the longer you last, the longer you can look back and see all the people that weren't willing to work as hard as you worked fall by the wayside. So yeah, for me, it's the people that give up, make space for the people that don't. Mm -hmm. And so the longer you're willing to work and trust yourself and get better, the more success you're going to have. Yeah. What are some examples of like doing the work? At least what did that look like for you? Well, so for me, when I fell in love with basketball, I was whatever, 18 or 19 years old at Duke. I had never played the game ever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh shoot, if I'm going to speak about this game with conviction, I need to learn a lot and I need to make up for a lot of lost time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's stuck with me now for the last 10 years. I watch a lot of basketball. If something's going on in the background in my, in my apartment, it's NBA TV. Mm -hmm. um, It's league pass from the night before it's our most recent game. A lot of times in the arena, I can't watch the broadcast and I love to watch Kate and listen to what she has to Mm -hmm. say. Kate obviously is a play-by-play announcer. It's different than what I do. But I think she presents extremely well. She's such a good storyteller. She multitasks really well because she's calling the game and telling a story at the same time. All I'm doing is telling little stories here and there, doing interviews here and there. I get to focus on one thing at a time. So I love listening to her to see how she's doing things. I love listening to other teams, broadcast crews, sideline reporters, folks that I admire around the league. So I'm watching these games to see what's happening on the broadcast. But I'm also trying to strategically pick games that feature players that we're about to see. So I watched Cleveland and Charlotte this morning in the background. Cleveland played in Charlotte last night. Mm -hmm. They're playing in Charlotte again tomorrow night. And then they play us on Wednesday night. And so the more that I can get to know the Cavaliers and what they've been up to lately, the better I'll be able to tell the story of whatever happens on Wednesday night once we get there. And I don't know that everybody does that. I think maybe on this level, a lot of people do. But even when I wasn't on camera yet, when I was just writing or when I was in school, I wanted to make sure that I was ingesting as much information as possible so that when it was my turn to speak, I could do so with conviction, that I could tell stories that I know are true, that I could make observations that other people might not have made. So it's about time. I mean, there's the idea that you need 10,000 hours of something to be an expert in it. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if I have 10,000 hours of viewing basketball. Maybe I do at this point, yeah. but I started behind. A lot of people that do what I do were miles ahead of me at the starting line. And so I always feel a little bit like I have to overcompensate for my lack of having played the game. Like I'll never have had those experiences. I don't know what it feels like to be out there. I never will. Yeah. So where can I get an edge on the people that do know what that feels like that have been in that situation? How can I make myself more relatable to the people that are currently doing it? 
Mm-hmm. And I think when I can step into an interview, I'll take notes on myself where I'll say, mm-hmm. ah, I don't like how I delivered that. Or, oh, I could have told that story more efficiently. Or I listen to someone else tell the same story better or differently. Mm-hmm. And I think just the more touch points that I can have to inform whatever I'm doing, the better my product could end up being. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so lucky too, though, listening to myself talk, like what a moron to like talk <laughs> about doing the work and watching NBA basketball. Like, this is my <laughs> job. This is fun. Like, yeah. And we forget that sometimes. And we have to do the like stop and look around and like, yes, I'm working at 11 p.m. on a Sunday, but I'm at an NBA arena. I'm yeah. interviewing Joel Embiid, who should win the MVP this year. Like, how mm-hmm. cool is that? Right. Like, yeah. I get to look back on my 20s and like, this is how I spent them. Crazy. Like, yeah. I was working a lot and I was trying to outwork everybody. But at the same time, it's like, I'm outworking other people in a field that's like so cool and fun and fast. And I'm having all these cool experiences. So it's not really work. Yeah, Um, it is, but it's not, I don't like the, I think it's very cliche the like, Oh, if you find something you love, you never work a day in your life. No, it's still work. You still have a job, you have responsibilities. There's professionalism to express. Like it's not all fun and games all the time. Mm -hmm. There are really hard days. I've had some really hard days in my career. And so I'm not going to act like it's not a job, but I am so lucky to have a job that I love that I find genuinely interesting. And when we finish this call and I put a game on in the background while I pack for the trip that I'm leaving on tomorrow, I'm going to enjoy that. It doesn't feel like work all the time. And to know that I'm getting better at my job by doing something that I already enjoy. It's awesome. It's so fun. It's really cool. Yeah. That's even getting me excited about like future jobs. It's like, yeah, Yeah. like I'm stressed about it, but I'm going to go into sports either way. And but it's so important to like, I, that's here. What, because the original question was like advice, mm-hmm. figure out what you like to do and do it, figure mm-hmm. out what you don't like to do and don't do that. It sounds so simple, but so many people don't follow it's that hard. really simple advice and they end mm-hmm. up miserable. Figure out what you like to do, figure out what you're good at, do those things. Or to be honest, if you're good at something that you hate, that doesn't mean you have to do it. I'm lucky that I'm good at something that I like, but I'm sure I would be good at other things that Mm -hmm. didn't interest me. So I didn't do them. And it sounds so simple, but I think that that helps you, especially when you're entering the workforce. And I had a lot of years of being the low man on the totem pole. I still often am. And having Mm -hmm. to do work that isn't the sexy, fun, exciting, fast paced stuff. Mm -hmm. So understanding that you're going to have some years of of sitting on the bench, if you will, if you're going to have some years as a bench player, you might as well be on a bench that you're happy to be on. You might yeah. as well be in a space that you're inspired by that you want to get better in and then work your way up in an environment that excites you. Yeah. And again, it sounds so simple, but not everybody does it for a variety of reasons, right? Like not everybody is blessed as I am to be in a position to be able to follow their passions, right? My dad is an immigrant and he wasn't never in that position. Like he didn't get to say, okay, what do I love? I'm going to do that. He said, how can I get to America? And then how can I make enough money to build and support a family and support my existing family back home? Having watched him do that and now getting to compare it to my life where I get to do a job that happens to pay the bills. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful, but I got to pick it because I loved it. I didn't have to pick it because I was trying to support a group of people in another country or trying to support my family pay my bills I'm really really lucky and I know that not everybody is so yeah I'll add that there at the end yeah no 
all great advice. This was awesome. Thank you this so much. Cool. This is a really Thank fun Thank you for hat. pushing me. No, seriously, like I've had to think really hard during this and I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I feel like I learned about myself a little bit and I really appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much.